wonderful day that God had the opportunity to come together to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And we are so thankful for those many opportunities. Thankful for your presence here with us this morning. Thankful for those that are visiting with us. Thank you for coming our way. And we invite you back at every opportunity that you may have. Thankful for those that are able to watch online to be able to be with us during this time as well. Mark chapter 6 is our scripture for this morning. Mark chapter 6. We're going to be talking about those who rejected the hometown boy. It's been said, and I'm sure it is the case, that it's always hard to go back home. Hard to go back home. There are some that have aspired to go back to the work, to labor, to live their lives. And some, no doubt, have been accepted but others, maybe not so. And so in Mark chapter 6, we have Jesus going back to his hometown, the city of Nazareth. And it was really the place where he was reared. And in Mark's account, we find that those who lived in the city of, north, uh, of Nazareth, the city north of the city of Jerusalem, it was south of Capernaum, about 15 miles. But here Jesus went back to Nazareth and unfortunately the people in that city rejected him. Even if you look at Luke's account of the gospel in Luke 4, 16 and following, here we have an account of Jesus going back to the city of Nazareth and he went to the synagogue and he read a passage from Isaiah. In fact, it was from Isaiah chapter 61 Verses 1 and 2. And he said to those people in the long ago that this passage was fulfilled in their eyes. He has come to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Verse 19. So the Bible says that they were astonished. They were marveled at the graciousness of his word. And yet in the same context, Luke tells us that they became enraged of what they heard, verse 28. And so they sought to, to throw him off the cliff upon which their city had been built in verse 29. And so in Mark chapter 6, if you will, we find Mark telling us some events that transpired while Jesus was in that city of Nazareth. The first thing that we notice here is the fact that they were astonished they were amazed at the preaching of Jesus. Or really, they were stupefied at what they heard and no doubt what they had seen. Notice with me verses 1 and 2, if you will. And he went out from thence and came unto his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, from whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is he, or is this, which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? The word astonished means shocked. To be struck with amazement. And really there are three things that they were shocked or amazed as they related to Jesus and his preaching, first of all, they were astonished at his words. Listen again to what Luke records for us in Luke 4 
In verse 22, and Jesus, of course, is on the Sabbath day. He's gone into the synagogue, began teaching. And the text says in Luke 4 and verse 22 that those who heard him wondered. They marveled. They were amazed at the gracious words which proceedeth out of his mouth. You might recall of when Jesus began his earthly ministry. And one of the things that he did as Jesus began preaching and teaching is that he heralded the coming of the kingdom of God according to Matthew 4 and verse 17. In chapters 5 through 7, Matthew tells us that Jesus had delivered what is typically referred to as that Sermon on the Mount. We know it well. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about some of the things that had been recorded in the law of Moses. And then he would inject, but I say unto you, you know what the word of God says in the Old Testament based on that. But let me tell you this, you see, he injected his words based on the divine authority that was given him by God the Father. Jesus, of course, had all authority, according to Matthew 28, 18, and Matthew 17, and verse 5. And so when Jesus concluded the Sermon on the Mount, the Bible tells us that those who heard him were astonished at his teaching because he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes, or not as one of the scribes, Matthew 7 and verse 29. And so we think about the scribes, we think about those teachers of the law, and of course we think about those who recorded the law, but here is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, brings to their knowledge of the teaching of Moses, and then he contrasted it by inserting his own divine authority and says, this is what you need to do based on that information. Jesus here is legislating, legislating the fact that his authority came from whom? Almighty God. And then I think about what John recorded in John 17, or John 7 in verse 46, where it was said of Jesus, never man spake like this man. Imagine, if you will, having the uh, opportunity to hear Jesus directly. Seeing Jesus, hearing those words coming right out of his mouth. To hear the wonderful words of life, as we just sang a few moments ago. Do you remember in John chapter 6, the, when Jesus had declared himself to be the, the bread of life and many of his disciples went back and they walked no more with him and Jesus asked the question to his apostles. He says, will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verses 67 through 69. No one else has the words of eternal life like Jesus did. Jesus was exclusive in this realm. And then we think about the fact that not only were they astonished at his words, they were astonished at his wisdom. Did you notice that? They asked, and what wisdom is this which is given unto him? When you look at the context and you think about, here is Jesus in their midst. This is the hometown boy, okay? And they were listening to him teaching in the synagogue. And it's obvious that they understood that what he was teaching or that he, 
somebody was very special here. And they recognized the great wisdom that he demonstrated. He demonstrated this, no doubt, in his teaching in his life and, and the way he carried himself. But do you remember in Luke chapter 2, 41 and following, when Jesus had been left behind by his parents? Yeah. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. They went back and where did they find him? They found him in the synagogue. They found him in the temple teaching with or sitting with the teachers. And they were no doubt amazed or astonished at his teaching at the young age of 12 years old. They were amazed. And Luke tells us that Jesus grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him, verse 40. And so Jesus was a very unique, unique individual. And the reason was because he was God, God in the flesh. But they marveled at his words, they marveled at his wisdom, and then they also marveled or astonished also at his works. At his works. Mark tells us that they asked a question, Mark 6, 2, from whence hath this man these things, and what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his now, in verse 3, they asked that question. Is this not the carpenter? The son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? In, in Luke 4, 22, they asked the question this way. Is not this Joseph's son? Joseph was a carpenter. He was a craftsman. And that craft had been passed on to Jesus. And so when they asked a question about the mighty works which were performed by his hands. I think about all the divine words that D Jesus had demonstrated before the people and they were astonished or astounded by these things and rightly so. But then there's a second thing that I want you to see in our text and that is that they asked about the person Jesus. Look at verse 3 if you will. Here we have their surmising. And first of all we're given insight into their opinion about Jesus himself. Let me ask you this question, first off. What do you think about Jesus? What do you think about him? Last Sunday night, we asked that question, but whom say ye that I am? See, Jesus asked that question. He had already asked the question earlier about who do the world say about him? And of course, they gave the answer. Well, some think you're John the Baptist, Elias, or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But then Jesus asked that personal, profound question to them. But whom say ye? Interesting, isn't it? Listen to what they asked here in verse 3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and of Joseph, of Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? What about the truth as it related to the person Jesus this is the hometown boy they looked at him as the carpenter's son 
the carpenter's son, as the child of Mary and Joseph. Here's really the question, who was Jesus? Who was Jesus? They were varying opinions in that day of whom he was. And as we talked about last Sunday night, that in Matthew 16, 13 and 14, a lot of people had their different opinions of who they thought he was. And so there were the varying opinions about Jesus, but they identified him as the carpenter's son. Who was Jesus? Jesus was God incarnate. Jesus was God incarnate. In other words, he was the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1.14. Now granted, if you and I were to jettison back to the first century and we were in the shoes of many of the people of that day, that we too would have drawn some conclusions about Jesus himself. But let me just say that we were from Nazareth and maybe we knew Jesus. We knew about this hometown boy and we knew that we were well acquainted with his words and his wisdom and his works. We knew that he was the son of Mary, the, uh, uh, the son of Joseph and Mary, and we knew all about him. But would it have been difficult for us to have made the decision or the connection that this was indeed the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the son of God? You see, so many people were skewed in their concept of Jesus that they were mistaken about the one who was with them in their presence. I believe that Jesus was guarding God incarnate. He was the eternal Logos, the one who took upon himself human flesh. The Hebrew writer says it this way. In Hebrews 10 verse 5, he says, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body has thou prepared me, for me. It was Jesus. Where was that body prepared? In the womb of Mary. We think about God incarnate. Jesus was born of a virgin. And that's what Matthew tells us in Matthew 1, 20 through 23, when the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all of this was done that it might be fulfilled. Which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. Saying behold a virgin shall be with child. And shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. Which being interpreted is God with us. That's God incarnate. John said in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word was God and the same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by him and without him was not all things made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. But then when you bounce down or drop down to verse 14, it says "And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was God incarnate. He was born of the Virgin Mary. And I would submit to you that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords even today. 1 Timothy 6.15 Now think about the disciples that were asked by Jesus point blank. Whom do men say that I the Son of Man? Well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. 
Then Jesus had to point blank tell them or ask them, but whom do ye say that I am? What was really important is, what do you think about my identity? What do you think? Simon Peter spoke and said that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus is the very son of the living God. And so we think about their opinion as it related to Jesus. They have the son of God right there in their midst. And yet they failed to understand that. Right there in front of them. But now notice what Mark tells us in the latter part of verse 3. And they were offended at him. What does Jesus got to do to get these people to understand, to see, to know? We think about the opinion of, their opinion of Jesus, but then also know how they were offended of Jesus. That word offended means to cause, to begin to distrust and desert one whom he ought to trust and obey. Here is the son of God. In their midst, he was the earthly son of Joseph and Mary, but he was more than that. He was the Messiah. He was the Christ, the anointed one. And so here were people that should have recognized that this is deity. They were astonished at his words. They were astonished at his wisdom. They were astonished at his works, but yet they still could not believe it. They still could not accept it. This is the long-awaited Messiah. This is the one that we need to follow. This is the one that we need to submit our lives. And yet they were offended at him. It's hard to believe that people can have the evidence right there, right before them. But here's the problem. Number one, they couldn't explain his words. They had no explanation for Jesus the Christ and his great preaching. His great teaching, the authority by which he spoke. You remember again what John said in John 7, 46, never man spake like this man. They had no explanation for the words of Jesus and with regard to his wisdom, they had no explanation for that. Where did this man get this kind of wisdom? Oh, they understood that Jesus was somebody special. Maybe they were preoccupied. (laughs) You know, we find ourselves sometimes getting preoccupied, don't we? Right? Maybe they didn't want to believe. Maybe they couldn't explain it. They couldn't explain his works either. But go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and just listen to some of the great things that Jesus taught. Look at the wisdom that he demonstrated time and time again as he interacted with the people. And it's interesting to me that he would offer times oftentimes would meet his critics, his foes, and he would literally confound them. Literally. They intended on many occasions to ensnare or to entrap him. Jesus would oftentimes answer a question with a question, and they didn't know how to respond. They didn't know how to respond. That suggests his wisdom, and then look at his words. Look at all the great miracles that Jesus has performed. Did you know that all those miracles that he performed, although we don't have everything that he had done while he was here on this earth, John 20, 30 and 31, John 21, 25, we we don't have all that. But what we do have shows us that he had the power over those things. And that's all we need to know. That's all we need to know. 
And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, right? Ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Jesus did a lot of great things in those three and a half, three and a half years here on this earth. But now I want you to see in the third place the adage and the, the performance of Jesus. First, we need to look at the saying and then the science. In verse 4, there is what you might call the logical axiom. Here's what it said. Now bear in mind, Jesus says he's a hometown boy. He's in his hometown. He's among these people. He's in the synagogue. He's been teaching. They're well aware of his, his words, his wisdom, his works. But listen to what Jesus said, verse 4. A prophet is not without honor, but, is in, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. Have you, have you ever heard the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt? Here's a really good quotation. A major general in the Air Force said on one occasion, he says, I, I may be a general to Uncle Sam, but he said, at home, I'm a buck private, right? And really what he meant was, is at home, people don't care about his rank. And sometimes that's the case. A small town boy makes it big, right? And Jesus Jesus just simply says to them, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. But notice the limitations of his activities. Verse 5, and he could there do no mighty work, save the, that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. Think about that for just a minute. Here is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, of whom the prophets of old had pointed people to. Here is Jesus in his own hometown, among his own people, and they don't make that connection. And so Jesus, for all intents and purposes, is limited in what he chooses to do. There, there's an old saying that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, right? There's only so much you can do with some people. There's just only so much you can do with some people. Do you remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount? He talked about casting your pearls before the swine, right? There are just some folks that there's only so much you can do for them. Why? Because the ground is not fertile. They're not ready to listen. They're not open to listening. What is it that we say in our prayers sometimes? Hoping that the Word of God will fall upon open hearts and receptive minds. Yes. We're not looking for the no's. We're looking for the yeses. Do you, would you like to have a Bible study? Yes. Oh, no. Well, we're looking for the yeses. Let's have a Bible study. Let's do whatever we can. Let's show you about Jesus and him crucified. Let's hope that the ground is fertile for the seed. And the seed is the word of God. Okay? One of the great illustrations that Jesus used regarding that information and dissemination of truth was the four types of soil. And by way of analogy, he talked about the four types of the human heart. Now, I just said it has to be fertile. Right? Luke 8. And out of four types of human hearts, only one was productive. 
That seed had the same power to accomplish the same end in every heart, but only one brought forth fruit. I don't know if you've heard this before, and I've, I've said it many times, but let me tell you again. The amazing sun that we have that, that rises up in the east and sets in the west. That sun is so powerful that it can harden clay. But on the other hand, it can soften wax. Which heart are you? The gospel of Jesus Christ, the divine word of God, can either convict you to melt you down, to receive it, or it can harden your heart to the point you're not even hearing it anymore, even as it's being said to you right then. That's what the Bible teaches. That's the Word of God. And that's what the Word of God intends for us to do. The Word of God suggests that we live and it just falls on deaf ears time and again. Well, the Lord understood people like that. But here's another thing we see, and that is His amazement. Notice the Lord's amazement. Verse 6. And He marveled because of their what? Their unbelief. Jesus marveled because of the unbelief of these people. He was the Son of God in their midst. They had the opportunity to hear Him rightly, to see Him, to observe His great works, His activities, the things that Jesus did. They were not done in a corner. They, his fame went out everywhere, and yet they remained in unbelief. I'm amazed that they would have unbelief at that time. Jesus marveled at their unbelief. Is it not the case that the Lord today could marvel at the people in His church? Now, I'd grant you that there are a lot of people outside the church that might ask the question, why is it that they don't believe? Why is it that they don't connect the dots that, that we might question them? Why is it that they can't connect the dots? Why is it that, that they choose not to live for the Lord? But there are lots of folks in the church who do not live like they should. I see people, members of the body of Christ, who ought to know better in terms of, of some of the things that they say and do. And yet, I, I, I personally just step back and, and marvel because I know that they know what, what they keep doing. It's absolutely amazing. Yet the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, was confronted with people in His day. They had all the evidence before them, and yet they remained in unbelief. How many times do we preach and teach that we need to obey the gospel and that we need to become a New Testament Christian? Because time is brief. You see, there's always a danger of a hard heart, and yet time and again, it falls on deaf ears. People were stepping out into eternity unprepared to meet Almighty God. You know what the Hebrew writer said? That it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews 10, 31. And I marvel that some people do not obey the gospel. It's amazing to me that there are just some people that have heard the gospel for years and years and years and they've never been moved to obey. I marvel that some members of the body of Christ don't come back on Sunday night, that they feel that they got enough on Sunday morning. I don't want to hear him again tonight. 
I marvel that some members of the body of Christ don't see the need to come back on Wednesday night. Typically, the question is, do I have to? That, that's, what they, that's what they'll say. Well, do I have to? The question ought not to be, why not? You should want to be here. Right? Quit giving Satan more of your time, as Mark talked about last week, last Sunday morning, time, I and me, outside of God's word, and fix your eyes on Jesus. Why do you think you're even here on this earth? It's to glorify God. Listen, there are people in the church, they, not, they know they ought to be here, but they're not. And if it amazes me, I'll guarantee you, it'll amaze Jesus. The Bible says he marveled at their unbelief. If the Lord were to look inside your life, I mean, if he were to appear in your spiritual life, would he marvel at what he saw? Would he marvel at how you live? Would he marvel at the things that you say on a daily basis? Would he marvel at how you carry yourself in this community? Would he marvel at your character, the reputation that you have developed over the years? Let me tell you, people are watching you. One of the first things that people say that the reason why they won't go to that church is because they'll say there's hypocrites in it. They've been watching you. They've been watching you. And they're thinking, whoa, wait a minute. Whatever little bit I know about the Bible, but those are hypocrites. Because they're saying one thing, but they're doing totally a different thing else. People are watching you. You have a reputation, whether you realize it or not. People know you. They know how you are, and they know what you are. Lots of questions. But here the Lord marveled at their unbelief. If the Lord were to appear into your spiritual life, would he see somebody whose desires are growing and being all you could be as a Christian? If the Lord appeared in your life, would he see somebody who's striving to be the best of his or her ability to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Would he see somebody who's daily trying to read his Bible and study it, meditate on it? Become more Christ-like? Would he be able to look at your life and see somebody who's trying to serve others? Those are just some valid questions. Jesus was rejected by people in his own hometown. It is tough to go home sometime. All they can think about is that little boy, Charles, and what he used to do. Oh, I can remember the times when his dad would snatch him by the ear and pull him out of the, out of the auditorium. That little Charles, oh, he's up there preaching now. Oh, I don't know. All I can think about is that little boy, Charles. You see, that's all they were thinking about. Is this not Joseph's son? Is this not the carpenter? We need to do our best to be the Christian, the Christ-like that Christ would have us to be 24-7. Live 24-7 for the Lord. I want to conclude this morning by saying this. When you read the scriptures and you look at what the Bible has to say about Jesus, you have the evidence. I have the evidence. The people in the Lord's day, they had the evidence before them. They had the opportunity to hear and to see face to face with the Redeemer. Many of those people rejected him and some did not. They had to draw some conclusion 
And they had to decide, are we going to follow Jesus? Well, you and I have to make that decision, don't we? Are we going to follow Jesus? The song that we sang just before the sermon was, I have decided to follow Jesus. Could you actually sing that song word for word and say that? Do you think you were lying when you were singing that song? I hope not. I hope you've made a decision to follow Jesus. The time has come that we want to offer the invitation of Jesus to come unto him. You see, without Jesus, there's no hope. So we need to come to follow him. But how can we do that? By becoming a child of God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Are you willing to make a change in your life called repentance? Are you willing to make that good confession that he is the Son of God? Are you willing to go down into the waters of baptism that have those sins literally washed away, Acts twenty two sixteen, by the blood of Jesus, to be able to be added to the Lord's church, Acts two forty seven, thus to then live righteously and rightfully with the word of God in your life so that heaven could be your home. I hope that you'll make that decision this morning. Tomorrow may be too late. Tonight might be too late. The next hour might be too late. The next minute might be too late. But we need to be prepared. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. Let's get preparation. We're going to sing a song of encouragement. 316. We'll. As together we stand and sing.